Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the 300th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Stanley Weotter, three-time Bram Stoker award-winning writer and journalist. Stay tuned for the interview. And since this is my 300th episode, I was just going to make a request that I oftentimes don't make here on the podcast, but I'm going to make an exception for this episode. If you listen to this podcast on a regular basis, if you find the interviews valuable, please review the podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or wherever you listen. Those reviews help other listeners find the podcast. So a review or rating of the podcast on Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or wherever you listen would be a great help. Now stay tuned for my interview with Stanley Weotter. If you're new to audiobooks, they're the perfect way to get more books into your busy life. Listen to audiobooks during your commute, while doing chores, walking the dog, or just relaxing at home. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro.fm app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local bookseller. Reading and writing podcast special offer, get two audiobooks for the price of one with your first month of membership with code RWPODCAST. That's code RWPODCAST for two audiobooks for the price of one for your first month of membership at Libro.fm. Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. I have a very special guest today for a very special episode. This is my 300th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I started this podcast in 2009, and yes, I've interviewed 299 writers. Some of those writers I've interviewed twice, James Lee Burt, Dean Kuntz, and others. But today for my 300th episode, I thought it'd be great to go back to the very, very beginning. Sitting at my kitchen table in Conway, Massachusetts in 2009, 
Not sure exactly how the technology would work as I interviewed my colleague and friend, Stanley Weotter, for my very first episode. And now today I'm interviewing Stanley again. For those who don't know Stanley Weotter, you might not have followed horror fiction very closely in the 1980s, 90s, and the 2000s. Stanley Weotter is a three-time Bram Stoker award-winning writer and journalist. Many consider We Otter to be the leading journalist and chronicler of horror fiction of his generation. He's the co-author of The Complete Stephen King Universe. He's the author of The Brian Lumley Companion, Dark Visions, Conversations with the Masters of the Horror Film, Dark Dreamers, Conversations with the Master of Horror, and more. He was also the host and creator of the Dark Dreamers television show, which featured interviews with the top horror writers and filmmakers. Stanley's latest book, Dark Fates, Collected Fictions of Stanley Weotter, is scheduled for release around Halloween of this year, 2020. Stanley Weotter, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's just a little strange that you had to go through another 299 authors before you thought of my name again. I know. I know. That's the way it goes sometimes. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on your success. You deserve it. Thank you. Well, for those listeners who don't know you and your work, can you explain how you first fell in love with horror and what later led you to interviewing many of the top writers and horror filmmakers, including Stephen King and so many others? Yes. Uh, speaking of Stephen King, whose name I will drop endlessly, because I've been blessed to be a friend of his and colleague for the past 40 years. People often ask King, why do you write horror? And he would simply respond, do you think I had any other choice? And that's always been my situation as a horror person. Um, I come from a, a abused childhood where I was abused by both my parents and was often locked in a closet. Uh, and the only companion I had was a flashlight and a pen and a pad of paper to write write out my uh, fantasies and dreams while living the nightmare. So coming from that abusive childhood, uh, when people say, why do you write horror? Why do you find it interesting? I always say, well, writing horror is my escape from reality. Well, you've interviewed and met so many leading horror and dark fantasy writers, and you have wonderful memories and stories about those interviews and and the people behind them. So I wanted to throw out some names, and if you could just talk about your meetings and interviews uh, over the years with some of these writers. And let's start with Stephen King. Can you talk about how you met Stephen originally and, and, and ended up interviewing him? Yes, it was back in 1979. Uh, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, and um, I convinced my editor when I was writing for the Springfield newspapers in Springfield, Massachusetts, that there was a convention being held in Providence, Rhode Island, celebrating horror, and Stephen King was one of the guests of honor. And just by chance, his book, The Dead Zone, was number one on the New York Times bestseller list. So that was a clincher to convince my editor to send a, a reporter from Springfield, Massachusetts, to go down to Providence, Rhode Island, 
since Stephen King by then was already a nationally known and celebrated author. Uh, so uh, I'll try to make this succinct because I've told it a few times. But basically, when uh, I went to the convention or writers conference, call it what you will, uh, I was j just happened to be the only reporter who showed up. I mean, I, it was shocking to me that it was, you know, just so many famous horror people, at least famous to me, that were attending this conference. So I go, I go to the bar and uh, I, I brush by this guy wearing, you know, a denim outfit and looking like the janitor. And I said, uh, you know, I'm here to interview you. And he says, hello, I'm not giving any interviews. And I said, well, that's great. And I followed him to the bar and he sat down. I sat down next to him and uh, sitting next to him was Peter Straub and the director, George Romero, and some other famous uh, legendary horror writers from the Weird Tales era. Anyway, I sat myself down and I said, look, I, I'm going to turn on my tape recorder. I'm going to buy you guys a round of beers or a round of drinks, whatever you want. And uh, uh, I'm one of you guys. And of course, I was wearing its usual, my uniform, which has always been a black suit and black tie. So that way, uh, I might look odd to people on the street, but you go to a horror writers conference, and it's basically a rigueur outfit uh, to be wearing. So that was my initial contact with him. I I, I offered to buy a, a pitcher of beer, turned down my tape recorder, and uh, I talked with him and Peter Straub and George Romero uh, for about two hours straight. Because, uh, you know, as long as I was paying for the beer, uh, Stephen King was willing to, uh, you know, spill his guts, as I like to phrase it. And so you um, interviewed him in, in, uh, later as well, right? And then you ended up writing or co-authoring, I should say, <laughs> the complete Stephen King universe. Yes, we became good, close friends uh, after that initial meeting uh, how should I put it? He's a few years older than me. And of course, you know, I'm a dimetrodon by nature and King is a T-Rex. So he gets to eat whatever he wants. But, um, because we're both native New Englanders and we come from the both the same background, uh, abusive, uh, childhood background that he had as well. His, his father deserted him when, when he was a child. And he had to struggle to make ends meet and pay his own way through life, as, as I have done. So even though all these things, of course, were off the record in terms of formal interview, uh, we became good friends, and we've remained friends uh, for the past 40 years. Well, um, I wonder if you could talk about Ray Bradbury, because I know that you um, met and interviewed him as well when you were pretty young, right? Yes, he was my first formal Dark Dreamers interviews. Uh, I, I decided at a very early age to concentrate not on, you know, just comedians, which I interviewed, and not, you know, pop singers, which I interviewed, but I, I wanted to interview my idols. My, my biggest idol as a child was Ray Bradbury. So I was on a scholarship uh, working at Warner Brothers Studios 
1974, and uh, there was a private studio showing of Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, directed by the legendary Sam Peckinpah. And of all the people in the world to be sitting at that private screening was, of course, Ray Bradbury. And your next question is going to be, what the hell does Ray Bradbury and Sam Peckinpah have in common? (laughs) Well, the answer to that is that Sam Peckinpah was going to direct Something Wicked This Way Comes. So I'm sitting there with Bradbury, uh, basically drooling into my cup and, you know, offering, of course, to buy him a drink. Uh, And this is uh, my advice for other interviewers, including yourself, Jeff, which I know you've taken to heart over the years. If you get to interview somebody uh, in person, at the very least, buy them a drink or pay for their meal. You know, I've, I've had the honor to interview Robert Block. Uh, over the years, and that man was such a legend, was always so busy at the writers' conferences, the only times I could do the interviews were while we were eating. Uh, so, of course, I would obviously pay for his lunch, so that, you know, can you imagine paying 20 bucks for a lunch at some uh, at some bar, at some hotel, and get to interview uh, the author of Psycho, you know, who was a personal uh, pen pal of H.P. Lovecraft, I think you'd find the twenty bucks was well spent. So this swings us back to Ray Bradbury with, with, with me saying, uh, "Dear Mister Bradbury, I am your number one fan." Before uh, Stephen King made that term famous with Misery, and uh, I'm like I say, I'm basically I was in college, my junior year in college in 1974, and I'm just drooling into my cup saying. Please, Mr. Bradbury, can I interview you? And he says, sure, young man. Because, of course, I had my copies, my first edition copies of Dark Carnival, The Martian Chronicles, in in my backpack. uh, Because I had suspected that Bradbury was going to be at that screen. So he said, come over to the house. You know, um, I'm going to play tennis. And then when I'm done playing tennis, uh, feel free to interview me. So I went to his home. and uh, just just sat there agog, you know, being in Ray Bradbury's living room. I turned on the tape recorder, and, and I just said, you know, please, Mr. Bradbury, spill your guts. And he did. So I got a two-hour interview on him. And that was my first formal Dark, Dark Dreamers interview. And so you also interviewed Richard Lehman as well while he was still alive. Um Yes, uh, um, I was friends with Dick Lehman, and uh, forgive me again for name dropping, but uh, over the years, I, I guess I've become a pretty big fish in a, in a very tiny pond, since I, 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 I literally don't know anyone who has made a career out of interviewing other horror personalities. But uh, when I was filming my television series, Dark Dreamers, uh, in the uh, either 2000 or 2001, I interviewed him in his home in uh, December of, uh, I believe it was 2001, and it was the only filmed interview ever done with Richard Lehman. And the reason for that, unfortunately, is that he dropped dead of a heart attack two months later after our interview. Hmm, that's tragic. 
And you also uh, interviewed and met Harlan Ellison as well. Yes. <laughs> I, I hate to keep it saying these people are friends of mine, but they are and they were friends of mine because of, for whatever reason, they, 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 I was like their Sally Field. You know, I said, you like me. You, you really like me. All I did was sit there and get paid to interview them. And I'd always remind them that, uh, you know, I'm here to make you famous. I'm here to put money in your pocket. I may be paid a few shekels to, to conduct this interview, either for television or for radio or, or for podcast or for print media. But just remember, I'm doing you the big favor. I'm, I'm, no, one's, no one's reading Harlan and Ellis' interview because it's done by Stanley Weider. So... Uh, I went in with that attitude as I've done with all of my interviews to, to remind people that it's an honor for me and a blessing for me that these people would sacrifice their time and energy and talent to, to talk talk with myself. And, and you interviewed Harlan in his home in Los Angeles. Yes, right? Can yes. you talk oh about that? God. Talk about a wonder talk about Alice in Wonderland. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. My God, the unique house. Every single item in there was, was, it was like being in a living museum. Um, I know there have been documentaries made where people have gone through his home and, and try to capture some of the magic of that place. And it was literally one of those homes that were designed to have secret rooms and secret passages that, that you would go through walls that were actually doorways and passageways to other secret rooms. Uh, I mean, he had just millions of dollars of work, of artwork and comic books and first editions. He showed us once his, uh, he had a mint copy of the first Superman comics, uh, comic book. And I believe that's worth like a million bucks retail nowadays. Wow. So it's just, just one of his thousands of treasures that he owned. He and, used, and you've also, you've also interviewed and say guy. that again. Sorry, I, I interrupted you. Say that again. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that Harlan Ellison, as did Ray Bradbury, would have all these things of beauty surrounding him to inspire him. Because when people would stupidly ask, where do you get your ideas? You know, Ray Bradbury would just have to pick up a paperweight or Harwin Ellison would just have to pick up a, the skull of a rat and think about it. And from there, the, the, the spark for his imagination would be struck. And so you, you also interviewed and met Clive Barker as well, correct? Yes, yes. I just spoke with him the other day. Uh, he has, he's been under the weather. I'll put it, I'll put it that way. Uh, He's been under the weather recently, but he's recovering. Yeah, Clive uh, owns two mansions in Beverly Hills. One is for him to, to make into a studio, 
and the other mansion uh, next to it is for him to sleep and eat and, uh, you know, get on with life. Well, you've been teasing your fans for a year or two now that you're going to launch a podcast and put me out of business. Can you tell us about the Dart Dreamers podcast? Yeah. Um, you know, there's an old saying that I, that I have written written above my my desk. And it's, a, it's a quote by my favorite French Polish um, poet philosopher named E.D. Pouchon. And it simply goes, reality is whatever works against you. You know, capital letters for reality. So my health has prevented the podcast from coming come forth. I've done a I've done a couple test runs and I plan to rebroadcast uh those test runs and then as soon as I feel <sighs> mentally and physically up to it, I will do a weekly broadcast every every Wednesday at high noon Pacific Standard Time get back to making people famous and maybe even telling a couple of my own tales. Along Great. The well, I'll, we'll keep people posted about that. Can you tell us about your upcoming book, Dark Fates, Collected Fictions of Stanley Weotter? Yeah, that'd be more than happy to. That also came about because of my recent cancer scare. I was diagnosed with colon cancer last summer. And uh, I finally said, well, it's time to, you know, get that book out because people for years have been saying, Stanley, we'd love to see your, your, your short stories put into one book collection. And I've only written a dozen or so uh, short stories and uh, prose poems and, you know, assorted narratives over the years. I just call them fiction because they're not all short stories. So that was the trigger. There was, there was a new imprint a new publishing company called Crimson Creek Press, who I just worked with to write a, a introduction for their first anthology. And I was talking with them and I said, you know, you guys, if you want to make a splash, if you think I'm worth trouble, uh, you know, why don't we do Dark Fates, uh, collected fictions of Stanley Beater, and I'll work out a, a similar deal that uh, Dean Koontz has with, with Amazon. And if you can, if you can deal with that, you know, that situation, we'll, 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 for lack of a better phrase, we'll go to bed together. So that's going to be my short stories. And, uh, also it's going to be what I call on a, on a subtitle, uh, some notes towards an autobiography because it's going to be an illustrated book, uh, scrapbook, really of uh, all my uh, adventures wrapped around the, the short stories. You know, a short story is not just a short story. A short story has a, you know, a beginning, a middle, and an end, not just as a story, but as a living, breathing entity. So when I write a short story, uh, I will describe in the book, this is how the story came to be. This is how the story was published. And this is why I made these changes uh, to that particular story. Well, if someone listening would like to be the next Stanley Louis Otter and chronicle the dark fantasy and horror writers, or even science fiction and fantasy, or 
romance or whatever genre of the 2020s, 30s, and 40s, what advice would you give them given your career in journalism of um, pop culture journalism? Generally, I tell people, journalists in general, because that's most of my career has been involved with other journalists, is uh, related to the, I believe it's the three Ps, and that's be punctual, be professional, be persistent. That's how you get your interviews. If, if, you're, if you do that with your query letters, when you send out a query letter to that particular author or filmmaker or artist, if you follow those three Ps, you'll get your foot in the door. And, of course, if ever, ever possible, either do it in person or via uh, some type of Zoom or Skype or something where you can actually see the the other person and get a get more of a reaction to it. But I, but I find that doing an in person interview is, is is like gold in terms of what you can get, whereas doing it over the phone is something that to me at least is just something that's ten times harder. Because, Jeff, you don't know how I'm looking right now. You don't know how I'm acting. You know, you don't, you don't know that I'm a, a actually picking my nose as we do this, do this discussion. But, uh, I could be in my pajamas and, and think I'm, I'm well dressed, whereas actually, um, I'm wearing my standard, you know, black suit. So just, I just tell people be professional. Be polite, be persistent, um, and you you've got a chance to uh, get get the gold out of the person you're interviewing. Because remember, no one's no one in my life has said, "Oh, I've got to buy that book of interviews because it's Stanley Goddard's name on it." Now they buy my books because Ray Bradbury's name is on it, and Stephen King's name on it, Clive Barker's name is on it. And that's a given, you know, going into that, going into that uh, conversation. So are there writers or filmmakers that we haven't discussed that have impacted your life or that you would like to mention? I know that from our just personal conversations, too, that I know that you've talked about at length are Sam Peckinpah and Robert E. Howard. I wondered if you could just talk about how those have factored into your life. Well, I hate to use the word philosophy because that's another P word, <laughs> but the, the philosophy of Sam Peckinpah and the philosophy of Robert E. Howard, and we can mention on a side note the philosophy of Playboy magazine and Hugh Hefner, these have had an, an enormous effect on how I view the world. Uh, I mentioned just a moment ago the French. Uh, philosopher uh, E.D. Pouchon, who says reality is whatever works against you. Well, Sam Peckinpah spent his whole career, short though it was, trying to make his movies his reality. And Robert E. Howard, who lived literally only 30 years before he blew his brains out and discussed with, with, with our reality, uh, spent his career 
creating characters like Conan the Barbarian and Solomon Kane and others, uh, King Cole, making so-called reality, you know, small r into my reality, capital M. So that's what I've tried to do in my entire life. I started publishing professionally when I was 15, and I've never looked back. And I've been published over 750 times and over 14 languages. And the whole point of it was not the monetary returns, which you need to have to survive, but it was to make reality small r into my reality, capital M-Y. Well, I know that you've had some health issues in the last five to six years. How are you feeling now? Good, good. Um, I I got through the cancer scare. Uh, that was taken care of uh, three months ago. And knock on wood, that, that will not re- reoccur. And it turns out that, unfortunately, as a side effect, I have uh, a health issue called uh, C-R-A-C-R, whatever it is. It's chronic pain, chronic regional pain syndrome. And that was because of the trauma of the surgery. I've never had surgery before. But, but the uh, five and a half hour surgery to remove the colon cancer, uh, traumatized my nerves throughout my body. So it looks like I'm going to be on medication for a long, long time to alleviate the pain. These are not things you go out. <laughs> Jeff, you do not go out with a sign bragging about your health, you know, unless that's why people say, how are you doing? And you say, fine. You might be dying with stage four kidney disease, but if you look good, uh, as Fernando would say on Saturday Night Live, it is better to look good than to feel than to feel good. So that's how I've always felt about my health. I'm very, you know, I'm a very private person, and you're one of the few people that I would allow this knowledge to get out to the public. Sure. Well, what books or films have been getting you through the pandemic, and that you've been reading or watching lately? <sighs> Well, I'll be honest with you, I haven't been reading a lot because I've been going through my archives, gathering my short stories and my fictions and my poems. I've been writing poetry my entire life, a lot of it under pseudonyms because it's very dark and very erotic. So I actually have enough to put together, which I'm now doing simultaneously with the short fictions a um, collection of my collected poetry, and that's called Dark Dreams, Moist Dreams. Dark Dreams with a slash, Moist Dreams. And I haven't decided on a publisher yet for that. But like I say, about 99% of my reading public does not know that I am a dark poet and that I write... uh, Poetry in, in the same genre that Anne Rice is infamous for with, with her uh, uh, Roquelay uh, pen-named books of uh, 
BDSM. I don't write BDSM, but I do write in the uh, D slash S genre, which is the dominant submissive. <laughs> Again, Jeff, you're, you're making me spill my guts. <laughs> well, where can people find you online if they'd like to learn more about you and your books? Um, I have several several places they can go. The easiest thing to do is go to my Facebook pages. But my website is uh, www.stanley-weotter.com. And that that will open up a Pandora box just as well. Simply go to Amazon. All my books are available either in hardcover, paperback, or, or now as ebooks. A couple of years ago, I got into the ebook game, and, and now I'm getting into the audiobook game. So now my books are also going to become audiobooks later, later this year. Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Stanley Weotter. You can find Stanley's books, as he said, at your favorite bookstore or online. If you're interested in horror and dark fantasy literature and films, go buy his books and check out his latest book, Dark Fates, Collected Fictions of Stanley Weotter, as it goes on sale in Halloween 2020. And Stanley, thanks for doing this interview for the 300th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. Jeff, it's, it's been it's been my pleasure. It's been an honor to know you and, and respect your work all these years. And support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.